My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. If you're out, out just to make money out of this real estate game, you're not going to make money. But if you're out to be successful at everything you do in real estate, you will make money. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're talking with property developer, speaker and coach Jason John Byron. We hear how fate got him out from behind the camera to develop over $30 million in property projects. Also, hear how a severe leg injury forced Byron to change the way he approached property investing and ultimately become a property developer. Byron is well known in the property world with a reputation for not wasting any time. He follows a structured system that ensures the maximum efficiency and profitability for his developments. I suppose now I call myself a property developer because that's mainly what I'm doing. We never ever actually buy a property and don't do something to it. So I probably started off as a bit of a property investor slash developer but now pretty much just concentrating full time on developing. His day to day is extremely analytical and well structured. He prides himself on his work system and his team. Yeah, the day we, we follow a very systemized pattern. So every day we have a meeting in the morning with our team. Um, and it's not a big team because a lot of them are out of sight as well. Uh, but we'll do eight minute meetings in the morning and we'll look at our top operating priorities that we have to get through that week. We break everything down into an epoch. And so that means that this is week 38 or something that we're on. And, uh, and we'll go through what we have to do within that system to get to the goal for that week. <laughs> Cool. When you said epoch, was it or epod, something like that? What? What? what can you sort of ex- elaborate on that? What is that for people who've never heard of it? Yeah. So a lot of people, we're very much about a system that we run under, and a lot of famous companies out there in the world run under systems, and so it just makes life a lot easier to get that balance, and so and and also that communication between different parties so it's very simply like there's a lot of websites out there that you can use and just type in epoch e-p-o-c-h and what that will bring up will be a calendar so at from the first part of the year for the very first week of the year is epoch one the very second week of the year is epoch two you have 52 weeks in a year so the very last epoch of the year will be epoch 52. So um, on um, my birthday is down the end of the year. So, you know, it'll be within that epoch, uh, you know, whatever it is, 50 or something. Byron was raised in the northern beaches. So his upbringing was filled with sunny days and free time on the water. I grew up in Sydney. um, So pretty much in the northern beaches. So I used to go boating one day or surfing the next day. (laughs) That was pretty much... Uh, very remote area though because there was no train and the bus took an hour to get into the city. So, yeah, it was very uh, one of those places that you get a lot of, you know, re- really fun place to grow up but uh, never really got that close to the city. So, kind of almost felt like I was in the country town and people that live in the northern beaches very down the very far end will know that feeling. Byron had a more disciplined and interesting schooling experience than most. I've always been a bit of an overachiever so... I needed a lot of support my whole life. And so what's happened is that I started off going to local schools down in those areas 
but then really didn't get the guidance that I needed for what I wanted out of life, um, especially in education. So about halfway through my high school, my parents realised that you know, the teachers weren't really performing to what I needed, especially in, I was really into computer studies and those type of things and economics. And so um, they put me into a military school. Um, that means that you have military service for you know a period of that and you've got to go three days a week to a school in full military outfit. So, um, so, but that was, I mean, I, I went there for the computers and the economics teachers and that type of stuff. Um, and it was quite a hard test to get into, but coming from that military type exercise really taught me to be very diligent and to be problem solving because there's no such thing as problems in the military. It's just a solution. So I think that made a big difference in my life. Was that anything related to the Australian army? Um, or was that something completely different when you say military school? Yeah, it's all alignment there. When I when I finished from the um, from the school in year twelve, you know, and they, I was an NCO, and so they said, well, you know, you've got pretty much with all what you've been doing there, you pretty much qualify to come into the army. So um, I just had to have a think back then and and go, oh, I think I'm a Christian too, so it's a bit like. Oh, look, I, I, I totally respect the army and the way that that works in the military and, you know, I, I love it. But um, I just didn't like the aspect of the that I kill someone type of thing. That was kind of saying that I kind of had to think about back then and go, oh, I don't know, I was a bit of a moral conflict there. So. I totally agree. I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to actually do cadets as well at school, which, which I wish I did, wish I did, but um, unfortunately, I got in a little bit too late, so I ended up moving into the musical arena. So I was part of the orchestra throughout my high school years. It's the same thing, yeah. Cadets is great, isn't it? Because you have discipline, and and you follow a system where you know what the person next to you's got to do, and especially if you're in a band or any type of thing like that, but you, it, it's a really good thing to get in the habit of because when you lead into your life and things and obligations that you have to do. Um, you can form things where you can systemize things so you know you can actually get things done that you need to do. So. After he finished school, he took a different path that you'd expect from a military school graduate. Well, my dad was in television. So I, um, I became a cameraman when I was about 12 years old, uh, video cameraman. And um, I, I trained probably from about the age of eight because he had big film studios and television studios and that. So. Um, yeah, but it's, it was kind of something that my dad did and I got really good at because I had a lot of influence around me. Um, and so I kind of went straight into to, to filming and I was also a pretty famous DJ so in those days too, spinning the record. So that look, both those things, um, I think a lot of people look at the media industries and think it's there's a lot of money in it. And um, there's a lot of expenses in it. <laughs> And so it's not really a career that I think I could I could use to make massive amounts of wealth. Really, uh, all the people underneath it seem to do all the work. So it's interesting that you say that. So how long were you in the media slash um, DJing kind of industry for? I was a DJ for about five or six years. Um, then I got serious. I thought oh, I can't stay out at night and party all my life, so I stopped that and then really heavily got into doing filming and television. Um, and that was 20 years, yeah, it would have been 20 years, my, my whole period of doing that. Um, I'm in my 40s now, so I changed my career in the property about nine, almost 10 years ago now because it was it was a thing where I kind of got really good at being a cameraman and I was very, very good at filming sports and I'd always keep people in frame and I used to do TV shows and other stuff as well. But um, and people admire you when you're a cameraman, you know, like, oh, wow, you're in film television. It sounds great. And they get really excited about it. And I was good at my job. But the only problem was that uh, I didn't love it. And this is the funny thing. Sometimes you confuse with how good you are at something and other external acknowledgement with your internal acknowledgement. So I thought, well, why aren't I happy? God, you know, I'm pretty good at this. And everyone thinks I have a great job. But, um, and, you know, I appreciated having that talent, but at the same time, it just wasn't in my heart, I suppose. After spending years spinning vinyls and filming footy players, his move into property came unexpectedly. Well, just by coincidence, I, um, 
I had a guy get, called Gary and he calls me up and he goes, oh, you know, there's these, I, I, I film these people that talk about property um, and this woman on stage walks back and forth from the stage all the time and I can't keep up with her and she keeps going out of shot and the guys I'm working for are angry at me because it looks really bad. And he goes, you know, you're the best in the industry for filming football players, so you, you'll be able to keep her in shot. And that's a, a, honestly how it happened. And I said, oh, Gary, I don't really want to film someone, you know, indoors, you know, I'll film sports, mate, you know. And then he told me how much he'd pay me, and it was four times the amount of what I got paid just doing internal, you know, doing external sports. So I said, yep, because subcontractor, you chase every buck you can. Um, that's the only way you're going to get wealthy and, and that, you know, in that type of mindset back then, that you just work as many hours, get as much as you can because you never know when it's going to dry up or you know, you'll get some expenses or something like that. So then I'm filming this woman on stage, teaching one about asset protection and trust and all this type of thing, and I wasn't paying attention. I was just too busy trying to keep up with her. But then... <laughs> And then the aha moment was when she started bringing students up on stage and said, they said, oh, you know, we, we, this is our job, this is what we do. Then we did this property stuff on the side and we made an extra $50,000 cash this year out of doing it. And I was like, I just, that was it. I was like, I need to know how to do that. That's like, you know, winning the lotto or scratchy or something like that, which is kind of what probably what I was doing back then. But, you know, how amazing was that? And then it, I just, that was it, went home, spoke to Amy, my partner, and said, you know, this is, I've found the <laughs> pot of gold. This is what we're doing now. So that's when it will change. And how did Amy um, react to that when you said that? Oh, she is, who, who is this person, you know? And, and I said, well, uh, she's an accountant. And then Amy's like, oh, fantastic. Tell me more because, you know, she always respected people who would come from not so much an emotional angle, but also mix that, you know, accounting type of background into it. Um, now, Amy comes from an Asian background, so it's just natural that you believe people in the numbers first and then, you know, that's how it works. You know what it's like, eh? Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's, it's embedded in our sort of Chinese culture that we, we trust numbers over anything else and it's, it's facts. That's what we look for at the end of the day. And if it's, if it's facts and it makes sense, then yeah, we jump, <laughs> make that decision. That's that's very interesting, very inspirational. And do you think you had any influences from your parents? I know you mentioned that your dad was yeah in TV for a while. This is the strangest thing. Like, yeah, Amy's parents and my parents had the one house, had it for years and years and years, tried to pay the thing off. That would have been principal, you know, interest loans. Um, and, yeah, we only ever remember being one house for a very long time. Um and so, you know, they didn't have any real estate stuff. They didn't have any investment properties. Um, none of one in our family had ever been you know, on both sides into real estate at all. So there was no influence from it, you know. He further explains how hearing this lady speak openly to him about the property world made him realize he needed to change his mindset and lifestyle. Yeah, well, that's when. It was, if we looked at it, you know, where we were at and, you know, I wasn't even bothering doing my taxes every year. I'd kind of put them off and wait a bit long because I knew, you know, I could just like wait a bit longer to do them next year or something like that. So, because I, I didn't really care about my finances because I wasn't going to be able to get a loan anyway and I wasn't interested in it. And that's a really bad place to be where you're just living by your income coming in and just spending it. Um, and I don't even know how I got there, but that's kind of... The attitude we just had back then, um, but not that so there's a big confusion, there's a huge confusion over property. Number one is financing it, and number two is buying the right deal. And so, I think the beauty of seeing that type of education from a, a, a figure's point of view and how do you get loans and how do you set up certain accounting structures and why that was important first before just you know, you've got to get a property because that's an investment. Um, really propelled us into going, hang on a second, yeah, our finances are bad, we have to get that fixed up first. Um, and then we both agreed that, you know, if we could put ourselves in a financial situation where we were good to be able to borrow money, then that would be the first step of us being able to progress into this new stage. And I think that's one thing people have to look at. Um, and this network that I ended up in has had so much support. I was just flabbergasted from that accounting side. It, they, they'd never, ever 
wanted to sell you a property. <laughs> it was different. It was like, let's just teach you all the background behind accounting. And that's what made a difference for both of us. Um, and then we went and did the education. So I kind of hated education. I didn't go to university. So I was like, well, why do I need this? But I realized that education was something that would make me make better decisions, more confidence. And so then we went and did the course and went and did our first property from there. Wow. Okay. I, I agree with you. Education is so powerful and it's also influential in how you actually make the right decisions as well. When did you actually take the big step to buy your first property? Well, it was really strange. I went to a seminar and there would have been you know, 300 or 400 people there and you sat around tables and you went through all the strategies and then went through all the accounting, which is really great. Both Amy and I are there. And then they show you about different techniques you can use. You can subdivide and then you can renovate. And it was all positive cash flow, which we liked because we didn't want to spend any extra money paying something off. We wanted to have a positive cash flow, so that was good. Um, and then the, the conference finishes after three days. Now, on the fourth day, we're out looking. And then we're, we're using it like a, trying to find that property, our first property, um, we've got, well, I'm starting to talk to my accountant, Amy's starting to have a look, talk to her accountant, do all this type of stuff. Our first property was seven hours out of Sydney because um, we could only borrow 100000 because we just weren't structured right financially at that time. We both had jobs that were close to you know 90000 whatever pay, but it doesn't mean that you know, that money is being put in the right place. Um, or structured yourself, you know, you, you might make, make 100000 you might have 30000 on a credit card. So, you know, and that 30000 doesn't disappear. You've got to then make almost 130000 to pay that off. So, uh, so that was the first thing, structurally get yourself ready um, uh, and then keep looking for that property week after week. Um, but the strangest thing was out of those 300 people in there, I thought that they all left the room and went straight into it. It was really strange. Like now I look back even a year after and I'm like, oh, I met some other people out there and I'm like, oh, haven't you started looking? Oh, no, we haven't. And I'm like, oh, but isn't that what we're all meant to do? So it was strange. So, um, yeah, so we, we just left that. And then within six months, we'd, we'd gone seven hours out of Sydney, used some advice from, you know, from what we've been able to find out from what other people were doing investing and then find that positive geared property. We use a, a, a whole lot of different strategies. So we're, even today, it's all about manufactured growth to us. Um, you know, Warren Buffett says, you know, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And so that's always stuck in our head right from the start that whatever we're going to do, we're going to manufacture it. We've got to do something to it and pull out more money than we put in. Um, and so that's where we went. We went straight out, seven hours out, found a property that was on a double block, which means that there's a block of land attached to the house pretty much. And so we renovate the house, subdivide it, have a spare block of land, revalue it, um, bring up some equity in that, that's better manufactured growth. But then to make it even better, we got a house that we could cut in half. Um, and then we put that, cut that house in half and moved it a hundred kilometers down the road to where we were. It's only 10 years old, uh, it was a vinyl club, which was good for a country area. And um, put it back together, plopped that on that spare block of land. And then we had two rental properties, both positive geared and two houses. Um, and that was all in the space of, I don't know, the first nine months. But um, in, the, in the something really bad happened to me. I um, I went and played paintball and it was kind of like an army version of paintball where you go up and down hills and that type of stuff. So it was a bit more serious than the average one. And I I twisted my, my leg at a degree where it all shattered. So I was pretty much um, no bone. It wasn't really a fracture. It was kind of shattered the whole of my right leg down from my knee down. So that meant that it wasn't just a simple type of put it back together and it would mend. It was like, well, you don't have bone here and there. So a rod was put in it and I was disabled for um, a year. I wasn't gonna be able to put any pressure on it. I'd have to learn to walk again because it wasn't a natural bone from the top to the bottom. Um, and that was, that was the end of my filming career pretty much. Um, but we'd had that first property, right? You know, so it was like, okay, well, we'd already started there. So I was in bed um, and I'd have to stay there for at least three months before I could start rehabilitation. And so Amy put a laptop on my chest and um, said, well, I'm, I'll work and maybe try to get some extra money in. 
um, and you um, you do this property stuff. And so yeah, that was that's how it happened. Um, so we I found more deals then than we could actually possibly buy with our income. So that's when you know we we put out the JV partners. Um, and that's what really has made us quite a success in the industry today, that from the start of it, we were forced not only that we could only get a property for under 100000 but we made that work by being able to create two properties and two positive incomes and have um, now, in, you know, two properties within, you know, one year, which is what most people don't get. Um, and then listed the equity up, so we had another seventy thousand equity we could pull out of that, which would be the immediate deposit to be able to put into another buy that we did. But it would still took us, you know, two years to get our borrowing capacity up to where we could afford something. So that we were finding stuff that was around five hundred thousand that we weren't able to borrow into yet. So that's when we got JV partner on board, and we did the same thing again and again. Found blocks of land where there was intrinsic value in the house on it and we would subdivide the land and then in this case just build new properties on those spare blocks of land. Okay. So, that's a very interesting strategy. Basically, um, as you said, it's always adding value, buying a block of land that you can subdivide, have existing one which you can rent out and then build a new one and you, you just kept repeating that process until a certain period of time. It was always manufactured growth. It was never buy and hold strategies um, from a point of view, buy it and you know, wait. It was like buy it, um, do something to it, increase the value of it and then take that chunk and then move somewhere else. It was the same thing with our JV partners. We're going to buy this from the day that we get that document signed and it's in our name and the, the money's been transferred over from our bank to their bank or whatever. We're starting, um, not one second lost, <laughs> even during our inspections, because we've done a lot. We don't know. I don't know. We would have done over fifty deals um, with with JV partners or with other other people and ourselves. And the thing has always been that people know us for having a system, and we don't slow down. And so, even when we've purchased a property within our contract, it says like every Wednesday or Tuesday for one hour, we're allowed to come on with some professionals to get some quotes. And most people that are selling a property go, oh, they probably just want to do the bathroom or something like that, you know. Or, yeah, sure, that's okay. But I can tell you, if, we, if I bought a property of you, you know, um, I bring about 10 people through on that Wednesday for the one hour to get my quotes. Um, and it's hilarious because they think, what's going on here? But that's what it said, you know. So when I'm when the money's been transferred over, I'm starting. Share with me as well, that first particular property, did you actually go in and do the renovations or did you hire people to help you with that? Yeah, so the first one, we did the renovations ourselves and we knew nothing. I've got a, people know me as the paintbrush guy because I got up, and yeah, maybe you've heard the story too, but I got up on the roof with a, um, with a very small paintbrush, I think it was two centimetres wide because I'd never done it before but it can't be that hard to paint something because we thought the roof needed painting because it was it was just red and rusty we thought it'd make a big difference probably wouldn't have but in hindsight now but it still looks pretty good but i went down to the local hardware store just the city boy kind of thing and went where's the paint there's a paint i said where's a brush he goes points to me there's a brush and i just thought okay well there's a brush i didn't even look any further uh, i'm quite tall so maybe i didn't see the second row down i don't know but I just picked it up and went, well, that's it. You know, what do I know? You know, so I suppose it's like shopping for a new car, unless you're knowing about cars, well, you don't know the options. So, um, yeah, we got there and I said, Amy didn't do, do that much renovating either. You know, she was in marketing and design and that type of stuff. So um, we did our best. So I got up on the roof and it took me two days to paint the whole roof with a, with a two-centimetre paintbrush, yeah. That's an amazing story. <laughs> when I think about it, you know, I think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, it's a funny story, but it, there's two sides of it. One side is what an idiot, you know, could have used a bigger brush. But the second side of it is you give me something to do and I'll get it done. <laughs> so You're amazing. You're amazing. We went from, that was a budget, you know, we had five grand, that's it. Um, so we did all the work ourselves. And then from every day from like, so that place was a, well, could have been a hundred years old, who knows when we bought it. Um, we did all the work on that ourselves. Seven, you can imagine this, right? Um, you've got a job. Friday night, 
your well, Friday straight after work, your girlfriend meets you at your work with all the stuff for the weekend, you drive seven hours to a country town, you you suddenly get there, you know, past midnight, um, you, you run inside, you, you have some sleep, you wake up at the crack of dawn, you start renovating and you know that on Sunday at five o'clock you've got to drive back because you've got to start work on Monday. So that happened for seven weeks um, and that was hard. And then the place next door, we hired people. They went to somewhere, they picked it up, they put it there and then we just told them what to do. We did a little bit of painting and laid some lawn in that, but the amount of effort, this is what resonates with me today. People like renovating, there's nothing wrong with it. But there is so much effort for, you know, what type of reward sometimes. There's no definite what you're going to get for it at the end of the day. No one can say, definitely, I'm going to get this amount. And it is a lot of time out of your day. And it's a lot of time away from your family, which is, I think, people kind of don't look at that time and how that affects it. So it was five times the amount of equity increase on the one that we got everyone else to do the work than the one that we did all the work. So from that point forward, we were like, no, we're not, I'm not lifting another brush. I'm going to, if I can make this work where I'm paying someone else to do it and managing them with, with a system and made sure I got it all systemized, then that's what I want to be doing. So any reno that we did from there on was us management. And that's the secret behind renovation. Don't lift a finger doing it yourself. Just buy the right property that you're going to get enough chunk out of it by doing that, if you're going to do renovation. But at the end of the day, we, we couldn't be bothered doing renovation anymore, purely because we've now come very much to the financial side, and that's the time versus effort. And that what we do now is develop property straight from, straight from the ground up, so from the land up, because the amount of time versus reward is so much more. And if you're just doing property for wealth and you're not doing it for your ultimate passion to, you know, of the love of renovating, then, then why not do that? So, For someone as invested in property as Byron, you'd expect at least one of his deals to go bad. However, he says due to his system, he's never had an investment fall through. I think that because we started out like that idea where you know, that very first property was really hard because it was very cold out in that country town and we didn't know what we were doing in that and that was the hardest thing. But then when we'd done the other one where we put the other property on the other block of land, um, we kind of figured out our strategy from then on. Um, I suppose, I don't know, we've had, we've had quite good outcomes because we became very system and solution based. So. I think you can stuff up very heavily if you put all the reliance on just yourself and don't have a team of people that have already done it before, professionals around you. When we try to do everything ourselves, you often fail at it and uh, or you learn a whole lot of lessons that you go back and go, well, maybe I should be managing this. You sit in these conferences and you know 10 times more than anyone else out there. So why are you going back and doing the work that everyone else that doesn't know that would could be doing? You know, so I got a carpenter, he's not doing my course, he doesn't know about asset protection, doesn't know how to buy stuff, doesn't know how to get JV partners and doing all that. Why am I doing this job? So I suppose from then on, you know, but it's been a, I think I've, I've probably been disappointed sometimes that I didn't go hard enough on that property or something like that. But the experience has been good. I've seen a lot of people make mistakes out there. And so I suppose I've been guided by that too. Where, where I'm kind of on a thing now where I see people get into certain patterns where, um, where they're t they, they don't see the value in using teams of other people or just being a bit smarter and, and losing that total emotion behind property and just going back to numbers. You know that 80-20 rule? Have you heard that before? Yeah, so that 80-20 rule obviously is like 20% um, of what you do produces 80% of your results. And I think it also works in 20% of deals aren't going to work out and 80% are. So, you know, from the from the other angle as well, um, from both sides, like don't expect that everything's going to go perfect. There will be 20% of what you do that's not going to go perfect, but then it's your ability to be able to problem solve with five different scenarios of how you're going to get out of it. That will make you so much more powerful in the future. So people get stuck down and, and give up on property if they have the challenges. Um, you know, we've had, I, I suppose the worst thing is when I put in a skylight with a team 
and it leaked. And people came along to inspect that property that day to buy it, and they walk into the property and there's a big puddle on the ground. That's probably one of the areas that I've gone, oh, you know, now they're not going to buy it. And I felt awful. But look, straight away I've snapped up and said, you know, get these guys out here and just fix it. Water's one thing that you're going to get on every property. Water, water does not like being outside. <laughs> It's like it's like those cockroaches. It wants to be inside your house, and so yeah, you've got to uh, you're going to have things happen, and sometimes you don't even know why, but you've just got to trust the universe that you're a good person. You're doing this for the right values. Like every property we've done, we've been very successful at, and so we've been able to pull money out of that, use it for. Our replacing our income, but also help other communities out there around the world that that have a need to be helped. So they're not being helped by anyone else. So I think when we drove from that point of view, when we started making profit, we said, okay, we're going to take a certain percentage and now let's share that out somewhere else, which is just both of our moral upbringing. It's kind of something that we've thought, well, whatever challenge was we're having, it's happening for a reason because at the end of the day, we always try to do our best by our JV partners and be very fair, which is a big word, and then also, um, you know, use that wealth for more than just yourself. If you, if if you're out out just to make money out of this real estate game, you're not going to make money. But if you're out to be successful at everything you do in real estate, you will make money. When you work in development. It might take a while for the profitability penny to drop. Byron's aha moment was simple but it left an everlasting impact on him. That's when I got into doing property development. That's when we looked at what we we, we just built two properties in Leichhardt and Sydney. They were duplexes and they were brand new builds right from the bottom up, knocked down the place and built two next to each other. Very expensive build. Uh, One of them actually got bought by Boys Town, which is now called Your Town or something. So it was a lottery one that was so good. And then when we looked at that, Amy and I, maybe we spent about 10% of our time on that property. And the profit was so much more than anything else we've ever done. But it was a smart buy and the right system that we used behind that. And that was our aha moment because we were like, that's it. This is what we're doing now. You know, we're going to find the best mentors we can and we're going to look at you know, property developers out there because this is so much better um, a way to do it because we we knew that by the time we'd finished this property or even, you know, with property now, your pre-sales are good, um, you can see the profit in there because you're increasing the value of the product. That's where you end up with. You don't start unless you do that. And that was a hell of a lot better than being in this moment before where you might renovate something or you might do something else and you never quite know what the value of that property is going to be at the end. But when you build something brand new, you're automatically building in a 20% margin of the value it will be worth afterwards because you're manufacturing that. That's when everything changed. Coming up after the break, we learn how his mindset has changed over the years I was quite a negative person back then. People that even knew me in business back then said that, you know, I was quite angry person. The best advice he's received? I had um, someone tell me once outside a conference to look at Amy and myself and say, what are you guys doing? His detailed development strategy and the system he uses? You've just got to look out for people out there that are, are doing whatever technique that you're interested in and try to find the best person that's doing it. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall allowing for the development to continue. 
five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with low risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Although he's been successful, he's still faced setbacks in his career due to his mindset. I was quite a negative person back then. People that even knew me in business back then said that, you know, I was quite angry person. I kind of thought that forcing things would get the stuff done and there was this whole thing of I had set beliefs. And this is what you know, I mentor mentor thousands of, of people now. And the main thing that I've got to get them through is that you've got to change your beliefs to get into property development because everyone gets, you know, going through life as they grow up and you'll either have a set belief that someone has that you're brought up with. It might be, you know, your background or where you grew up, something like that, or else it might be something that you've adopted that you've heard out there. And my set belief was, hey, I finished high school. I was a cameraman. That's all I knew how to do. I had obviously, you know, my HSC and I'd done that, but that's all. I didn't go to university. So what else could I do? I, I was going to be a cameraman for the rest of my life. And that was the set belief that I had back then. And then if it wasn't for me, I don't know, kind of seeing someone else do something in a similar situation where they didn't have a university education or something like that to fall back on and what did they do, um, then my belief wouldn't have changed. I would still be a cameraman now. Yeah. So, how how do you think you've been able to change that mindset? Yeah, well, it's so strange because that's what I teach people now when I teach them about property development. The first thing I teach them is the mindset. Um, So, it's really good that you touch on it because I, I tell them first off, you, you've got to put down what your weaknesses are. And so that's really hard because you've got to go right down, okay, well, my, my weakness is, you know, my my budgeting, my weakness is I don't know enough about this, I don't know enough about that. That's really hard to admit what you're not good at. Um, and then you put down what you're good at as well. But from that point on, I realised that my weakness was a negativity. I was very negative. I'd get into something and I'd start thinking, oh, no, I shouldn't be doing this. What am I doing? So I found a, a mentor on the internet called Les Brown. Um, and he just said things in a way that made sense that it would reprogram my my mind to say, no, it is possible. And, and anyone that listens to him knows that you listen to enough of Les Brown, he kind of instills this faith in you that says, no, keep going forward. Don't stop. It, it'll, it'll come. Just just don't go back to the negative. So um, listen to him a lot when I first started because I was having the education that was working but listen to him every single morning. Um, I know you listen to a lot of podcasts and that, so that's what I was doing, listening to him on YouTube. And then I wrote down my weaknesses and then made a plan to tackle those weaknesses. So, And that's very much what it was. It was a plan. Okay, who do I need? What do I need to do? And then this week I'm going to be doing – these things to get better at that particular issue that I had to get better at, I suppose. Wow, that's very powerful what you said there. And yeah, I mean, it, it's very easy to sort of just sit on that, that negativity fence because I think it's it's natural within, within us. We're, we're always looking for problems and issues and that's how I guess we sort of um, socialize in, in our society. Like that's the reason why the media does so well is because everything that they put out there is negative and our brains seem to attune to that than positive news. Yeah, well, when I was, yeah, you're right. The media, you tapped it right in the head. The I was in media for 20 years, and I've been media trained, and I've been with reporters, and done television shows, and done a lot of news and that. And the first rule of media is bad news is good news. Good, good, good news is not good. So you you look for fear and things that are negative because that gives people a chance to complain about them. No one's going to complain about someone that did something good. Um, so, I mean, it's just a natural way that we're kind of programmed. It's easy just to sit back and accept things and, and complain about them over and over again and a- analyse problems. Oh, this problem is this, this guy did this, this guy that, but not come up with solutions. You know, that's how the world is. It's 90% problems and 10% solutions, unfortunately. Um, that set belief, though, you know, you would have gone through that too, right? Where, you, you know, you, you've grown up with this thing and it's what people don't realise is you just change that belief and you can believe something else. And I think there's not total equality out there in the world. 
we're still at a point where people are told that you can't do this and you can't do that, even when it comes to, you know, what we're recently on about, you know, marriage and that type of stuff. And there's all these rules, you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that. And so all these things happen that keep coming up for people where they're told they can't do things. And that's a belief. And then people just don't do it. Women are told you have to marry a rich man. And that's just the most craziest thing. Um, or, you know, and it's just a culture thing that comes into it too. And that just stops you making decisions um, to change things. And you just go with the pack. And so that's where I had to, I had to say, hang on a second. I'm just being negative for the sake of being negative. You know, I've got to be look at everything from a positive angle. And instead of me saying I can't find a property, I've got to say I haven't found one that's stacked up for me to be able to progress forward to the next level, but I'm going to keep looking. I know it's out there. Byron wasted no time securing his first development, but he admits he was slow to continue on his property journey until he received some advice that gave him the wake-up call he needed. I think it just comes back to doing what I'm doing now with, with development. If you suddenly get better at something, then you need to scale up. You don't, uh, you, if you underestimate your talents, I had um, someone tell me once outside a conference to look at Amy and myself and say, what are you guys doing? You're, you're fantastic at doing this. You've already done, you know, one house, two houses, three houses. Like, why not go into doing, moving up to development? What's stopping you? And I suppose it was a fear and an uncertainty and thinking that you need all this money and you really need no money for development because this is what investors want. They want a brand new product where you just knock down the land and build something brand new and have a 20% margin. And that, that's easier to find a JV partner for that than it is to do any other type of technique. So we were just kind of using that as an excuse that you need lots of money when it's the total opposite. <laughs> so that's the best time. That's, that's the best advice I've been given. You know, don't underestimate your talent now. You've got to this stage. What are you, what are you holding back for? Next, he breaks down his property investing strategy. I suppose we had to look at, I use things called proven track record when I teach people about stuff. And I say, you've just got to look out for people out there that are, are doing whatever technique that you're interested in and try to find the best person that's doing it. And so, you know, go right to the top. So I went to Meriton and had a look at how they did it and, and Mervac. Like, I don't want to be building that type of stuff that they built, but it doesn't matter. I've got to look at, well, what techniques and stuff are they using? to be able to do what they do and then break it right down to someone that's just done a duplex or a fourplex or, or something like that. Um, but the, you look high at the biggest achievement and then go go down. And then when I looked at it, I said, okay, well, these guys have systemized it. So they have they, they run it like a business where it, it, it's a system that, that you've got to go through. And so that's the same thing that I do now. I look at it and go, okay, um, you know, ha, ha, let's break this down. It can't be that complicated. If, if they started from the same place I did, which is the same as Harry Triggerboff, then, you know, surely what am I, what, what's my fear? Everyone started from, from somewhere, but our fear is when we look at the big picture and don't break it down into, well, what was the process that got them there, you know. With a great reputation behind him, especially in joint ventures, he wanted to share his knowledge on what investors look for in a JV partner. They want to see that if, if someone's going to JV with me and they want to go into a deal with me, they want to see that I've already got some way of being able to buy it for a certain price and add value to it. So at the end of the day, the value of the product is actually more. More than just a, a kind of a situation where even with renovations, I find it's very hard to get a, to give that investor an assurance. And so when we looked at JVs, we had to break down our whole system for them and showed them who was the people behind us, what was an, our analysis, what was our comparables to show that this area would actually work that, we, we, that we're going to go into. Um, and we kind of brand ourselves in a way to say, well, this is who we are and these are, this is our crew, this is people we use, this is our feasibility. Um, we always do an information memorandum, which is a document that just breaks all that down for them. Um, and that's what an investor wants to see. Then, you know, it's it's really not about you. It's about well, what can you present to them? You've got to prove yourself in this world. And I think a lot of people kind of just wait for that investor to come along, that JV partner with all the money, then try and find the deal. Well, it just doesn't work. You need to find the deal and back yourself up, almost like a a business plan. 
The system works similar to how you would go to a bank and ask for money. Exactly the same. And that's been our success. Every single year for the last nine years, we've been in a JV. And that's what's got us to where we are today. That's where we were able to retire and just do property almost like as a hobby. <laughs> because it wasn't our B end, end or if we stopped doing this, we wouldn't have any cash flow to live. Like we've got property investments that we've developed now that are fine, that are going to be there for as long as we keep them and they're chugging along good. But every time when we started to be able to do joint ventures, every year we knew that we had a property we're doing on the, for ourselves, and at the same time we're going to do something, manufacture growth out of that property, split that with the joint venture partner. So that means that every year I'm guaranteeing of having cash flow as a chunk as well. Um, and then we get up to stage, you know, we can do three, five investors at once because if we systemize it, and this is what people need to start thinking about, I mean, what's the most successful restaurant franchise in the world? Probably McDonald's. McDonald's, right. Does McDonald's have a system? Yes. I mean, everyone knows that. And does McDonald's, do you, do you look at McDonald's and think that they lose money? No, definitely not. You wouldn't mind being left at McDonald's tomorrow, right? Yeah, of course. What if I said I'm going to leave you a fish and chip shop? There's no guarantee. Mm. You'd be a little bit worried. You'd be like, I don't want the hassle. But the reason why people, why McDonald's just works is because it has a need, and this is exactly what property development, I break it down to people very simply. The need in McDonald's is yummy burgers, fast food, in convenient locations. The system is the actual McDonald's franchise, what they've set up. They've copied it and gone out. And the process is using that system to make the burger. I don't do anything different from McDonald's. Neither does Harry Triggerboff, neither does Gina Reinhardt, neither does the Pratt guys with, with Busy Recycling. They all have a need. So my need is people want affordable, classy, brand new, you know, um, dwellings that are close to amenities and um, and convenience, and that's the townhouses or units. So they'll always need that. So I've just got to find out where do they need it the most. My system is something that I teach people now, which is really the true part of our success, which is it, we, we break development down into 12 stages and we, we almost like I told you about the epochs, right? So if I'm up to stage four in our development, then I know I've, I've got that system up to stage four, then I can start another development and go back to system one and keep it going. So then the system turns into a process and the process ends up building a finished product. Um, and that's what I think people, people need to understand as a property developer, you are the same as the most successful companies in the world. And that's why they're successful. You know, Gina Reinhardt has mining. She's got to produce iron ore. The system is her mining company. The process is putting out the iron ore. Busy is recycling boxes. Now it's 10 times the demand of the boxes because we buy ring over the internet. But he has a system and the process is recycling the old stuff into the new stuff. But can he repeat that? And can you scale that? Yeah, you can. Every company, you got to get to a point now where, as a property developer, I have a system that other people work in and I produce money. The same thing that the richest people in the world have, or the richest, the wealthiest, I don't know what you want to call them, most successful people, right? They have systems where other people work in their system. So you got to figure out, are you working in someone else's system to make their money? <laughs> Which, if you think about it, sometimes your job is that you're working in someone else's system, and you figure, hang on, how am I, how come I'm not getting forward? But the smartest people have developed the system like I have, where I get 75% of the work is done by people working in my system. I do 25% of it, but I have that system, and I know how to run that system and the processes that all those team of people have to go together to produce my product at the end of the day, which is always in need. And it's a lot easier to produce a product that people need than something that you've got to try to put out there and hope that someone will will buy or, you know, and that's that's why I love doing what I do. And that's why JV partners love it too because they love the idea of having a system. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, it's absolutely win-win. And you've definitely really, really shared some amazing points there about systemize and ensuring that, 
if you want to actually succeed in property development, that's where, where the really money is. Is If you want to do multiple projects, you've got to have procedures and operations and systems in place. And I, I'm very much in, in line with you on that one too. That's excellent. And you think about it, land, it's, it's a certain dimension and a certain slope. And you can, you've got to, that system's got to be able to move around to different things like a McDonald's can, you know, or like a mining system can. So the type of system has to be flexible through. I don't really think there is a system that you can adopt to doing renovations because every time you move it somewhere else, it's going to be totally different and you don't know your outcome. At least with me, with building brand new product, it gives a very strong reliance on what the end value is going to be because you know you look in a certain area and there'll be a brand new townhouse or a unit's going to cost you this much. You pretty much know. But when you go down the street and you see a whole lot of houses, you've got no idea what each one of them is going to be worth at the end of the day. So that assurance takes it out. And JV partners, that's what they love as well. A systemized development project doesn't just come together overnight. It takes practice and discipline. Byron has some personal habits that helped him get there. The habit is very much uh, goes in making a yearly goal. So our annual priorities say that we want to get this many developments happening this year. And then we break it down into quarterly goals, um, into monthly goals, weekly goals and epochs, weekly uh, epochs to, to kind of go through what what an epoch is and in, in what week are we up to within the 52 weeks of the year. So the, a lot of planning is behind it. And then the, then we, we use our system behind us to know exactly what stages have to happen within that stage and what the person that's doing the construction has to be up to at that certain stage as well. So if I'm following that system the whole time, um, then I, I actually feel a lot more confident that even if I've got issues, I know how to solve them because I'm I, I know what what's happening next, and you know I kind of you kind of work backwards. So you know that's our monthly program, and then I can I can go and have holidays because I get to a stage that I can I can get someone else to follow that system. It's not all in my head, um, and that's what we've done now. We've employed people that do the minor work and we're just the big thinkers of doing acquisitions and that type of stuff, um, sales and marketing. Um, the other, the strangest thing though, you want to hear, hear this, uh, I got out of business to not be running a business because I used to run three or four businesses. Amy got out of business because she didn't like the politics in, in work and all that type of stuff and the negativity and that. So we got into property to replace our income, which is what everyone says, so you don't have to work again. Then we get into property development, which runs so well once it's systemized. And, you know, our first deal with property development, we made 300,000. The second deal, we made 1 million. On from there, they're 400,000, 500,000 profits using our system. And so it ends up being that because we systemize it and because we're able to take JV partners' money, be able to invest it in our company, run it through the system, and pump out a profit every year. Guess what we've got now? A business. Full circle. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And so now, then Amy and I did went back to them to people that structured on military training, and we got them to we treat our business like a military exercise. So the military do train, 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 which is what you would have done in cadets and what I did. So marching, marching, marching. You would have been marching and playing instruments, and then you plan. Okay, so you, you you know what what's going to happen when you get to an event or go go on a, a mission or something like that, and then you debrief, and so that's kind of a, a thing that we looked at the military who do it the best because if they don't do it right, they die, and so and then you we put that into our business pro- process, and that's what it breaks down to: plan, um, oh sorry, uh, train skill, which is improving your skills. And then you, you go into your plan of how you're going to run that whole thing and then you debrief it at the end to see where you could have gone better or how you're going to grow, what you're going to do. And we do that every, you know, every week and every month and every quarter and <laughs> every three months. We'll, you know, we'll sit down and we'll debrief everything and see where we're going. Um, but the beauty of, yeah, isn't it? Like it's, I make it sound so simple, but it does get to a stage because 
people are walking around there with so much knowledge in real estate and they're not using their full potential. Um, they, you get to a point and you just go, you know, you just stay there. And you go, hang on a second. I already know about. I already know how to buy stuff. I already know how to do all the hard work and the tax and do all the accounting and that. You know, um, why shouldn't I move up the property development where it's a it's a systemized process? And then you end up with a company, and that company's got value to it. And you end up with a company that you could sell, <laughs> or people can you can even put on the stock exchange. You know. Although the market can be unpredictable at times, Byron has figured out the best areas to buy. I've got developments within 6Ks of all the um, of all the capital cities is where I look at. So that's where I find the highest demand for my product. That's what I like. Um, where we're developing at the moment, I came up to Brisbane four years ago because my parents were getting close to a you know, very old age. And so I said, um, within one week, we left our place in Sydney um, packed our clothes, left all our furniture in our house, moved up here and started doing property development straight away um, because you have, we had that luxury of being able to do that and we had JV partners that would finance a rink for us. Um, so we ended up in Brisbane because my parents were up here and I said to Amy, um, you know, we're married now but I don't really know my parents enough and I haven't spent that much time with them because they moved up when I was 18 up to Queensland so I didn't properly see them for a good 10, 15 years. So I said, I don't want to lose that part of my life with them. So she said, even though we're doing stuff in Sydney developing, I said, we're going to come up here. Now, the cool thing about property development, what I teach is, I teach this target strategy, which is, it's, it's a certain thing so that I can tell you exactly where to find that property. So the biggest thing people go is, oh, I can't find a property, I can't find a deal. Well, with property development, it works backwards. You can use targeting to target exactly where it's going to work. So you can give me any state and I can tell you exactly where to go to build that townhouse or that unit development that will work. And I purely go back to my demand. People want convenience. People want um, to be in an area that they can get to access to work, you know, within a decent time frame. They want access to fast food. They want access to infrastructure. They want access to cafes and entertainment. Um, and so that's where we kind of do this big analysis. I teach people how to do it and then we nail down and we go, okay, that's where you're going to do it. Don't do it there or there or there. Do it right there. So, I mean, I teach people all around Australia how to do it and it works over and over again. And that's what the smart developers know. Um, even the big guys, you look at them, they'll always be close to certain points of infrastructure or cafes or districts um, that service the need of the people that want to be there so the product eventually you know you're going to sell it because you're servicing that need in that area um, now when it comes to media the biggest problem people do is they read magazines and they trust what they say now getting back to my history in the media it's very easy for I'm not saying this is always the case, but you've got to think about this. It's very easy to get facts and write factual stories, but they might not be the actual story behind it. They're just a factual story. It's very different. So I can tell you a, a factual story now is that I knew it. Here's an area here where it's had 25% growth in one year. You know, surely that means that you should be going into this area, right? The only thing that happened there was rezoned. But so what's the story behind it? Do you know what I mean? So this is a whole thing. So this, when you become smarter is when you stop listening to everyone out there or you take hints about certain things, but then you go back and use fundamentals, which is what we teach, and go, hang on a second, let's just look at what areas do people need to be in first. And that's when I mean, we're developing, that's really easy because you're actually just creating the product that, that they're actually demanding the whole time. He shares a reminder for developers who feel like they're struggling to secure a deal or loan. Our job is so much easier if we're doing property development than anyone else's because we have all these grants that happen for brand new properties 
and we have a natural influence of people being able to borrow more for a brand new property or, or get a higher yield for a brand new property. But then we have these things that the government do called growth corridors. And you can Google them in every single state and I'll show you where those growth corridors are. And that's where the government and the council say, property developers, we actually need you. We would like to help you. Because you think about it, no matter where you live, you'll know a growth corridor around you. That's where the government says we're going to spend all the money on the infrastructure. That's where that area is going to become beautiful because we're going to spend all our money in there because we want a growth corridor. Now, a growth corridor means high density, right? That's what growth is. What do we build? Medium to high density products. So they want us there because they want that area to have more people in it. And they will support it 100, 200%. But guess what? The government and the councils can't do it. They don't build high rises and townhouses or, or units. So they actually need you. This is what the best thing. I can sit down with the council and go, where do you want me to go and where are, we, where are you going to help me? No, can you go here? Because we need this density here to be doubled. And the only way I can double the density is to do more on the block of land, right? So that's where it's going to get rezoned. So that's kind of given pretty much. I mean, they need you as a as a service provider, and you've you've got the perfect product to be able to give to them. So it's win win. Isn't that better? Isn't it easier to do if you know ring about property already, or you've done it for a few years, just to go to an area now where the council's not fighting you? I mean, we're in this to make money. So I mean, people. You know, I love doing property development, but I just like having a cash flow system where I can make choices in my life and I love educating people and helping people into having those things too. I mean, my life now, I just don't understand how I got here sometimes. I think this this episode will be able to share that with you. Because seriously, you wake up and you go, I'm not driving to work and if I didn't want to work again, I don't have to. And it's just the decisions that I made and where I'm at at the moment that for, for, from now till to ever, I'll always know how to be able to use my system to make money. And you know, this, this is successful people around the world, they do the same thing. What would Byron say to the guy holding the video camera all those years ago if he could go back in time? I think I'd say don't be afraid to, to go and you know, look, do some education. I think that would be the biggest thing. To just because you didn't go to university or just because you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do in, in life, the more you try different things out that you're interested in from an educational point of view, it'll come to you. All my friends went to university and none of them are doing what they did in the, the degrees for in university. Um, and, and what they eventually got to is that they, they use university as you know an education platform to go, actually, this is what I thought I was going to do, but actually, I heard about this and I want to do this now. So, you know, just do, there's plenty of short courses and this and that. So go and just go and explore it. How do people make money? And, you know, I don't care what industry it's in, but you have to go along and spend some time on yourself and say, even if it's going to cost you money, you know, if you're spending it on yourself, there's no problem. And I don't mean buying clothes and everything like that. I mean, spending it on your brain. You're going to spend, how much money do people spend in university? You know, sometimes up to $60,000, yet they're scared to go and spend $2,000, $3,000 on some education, there, even if you just pick up one point out of it. And I'm saying don't go on the Spruikers one where they just try to sell your properties or stuff, stuff like that because if it's just sell property and there's no education, that's when you should be leaving those seminars straight away or asking for your money back. But if you could walk and, and they'll all give you your money back, most of them, the good ones out there, if you're not happy with it, they'll give you money back straight away. So what's stopping you from doing it? Thank you to Jason John Byron, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now. 
and I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.